Welcome to episode 18 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 2. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. Oscar Handlin, an American historian, said, Once I thought to write a history of the immigrants in America, then I discovered that the immigrants were American history. USA is a land of immigrants. Today, our guest is one such immigrant into the USA. She was a political immigrant into Canada and then pursuant to that, an economic immigrant into America. Listeners, let's welcome Shirin Carson. Although Shirin is a resident of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, she is currently in London because her daughter gave birth only last week to a beautiful baby girl. They named her Amara. On behalf of Sharing Life Lessons, I want to send a heartwarming congratulations to Shirin and her family. Hello, Shirin. Welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. Good morning for me. Good afternoon for you because I'm here in New Jersey and you're there in London. Thank you, Hamida. And good morning to you as well. It's a beautiful day here in London today. And a beautiful day here too. Uh, Very happy to have you on the show, Shirin. Thank you. Shirin, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a refugee from Uganda. I left Uganda in 1972, and I have since lived in several countries. I have also lived in Canada for, that's where I migrated to and was accepted as a refugee in Toronto, Canada. So I lived there for a few years and then have been in the U.S. now for over 30 years. Great. I I know you sit on a couple of boards as well, Shirin. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So I have served on several different boards and I'll mention two of the ones that I'm very actively working with right now. And the first one is the Philadelphia Foundation. And we just celebrated a hundred years and now entering into the second century. And the Philadelphia Foundation was born out of a desire to really address community needs by fostering economic civic and social vitality of greater Philadelphia. And the vision remains grounded in the needs of today and tomorrow and is shaped really by the values, excellence and diversity and equity in the uh, greater Philadelphia area. 100 years old, that is amazing. Yeah. And the other board is the Welcoming Center for uh, New Pennsylvanians. That board was created actually by a woman uh, named Anne O'Callaghan, and she's from Ireland. This organization was started by really acknowledging a need for immigrants. What we do at the uh, Welcoming Center is we offer several programs for people who are new into the area and uh, are looking for support in economic growth. And for listeners who are interested in knowing more about the organization, the links to both these organizations are in the show notes. So Sharon, you have a really intriguing story. Tell us your story, please. Sure. I left 
Uganda, I didn't have a choice. At the time, it was President Idi Amin that had a dream and said, we want all South Asians out of Uganda in 90 days. And you think about it, 90 days for about 65,000 Asians to be leaving a country which has one immigration office and most people, you know, in African countries, in most developing countries, never even thought about travel documents or that they would ever have to leave and go. So here we are, you know, we were a big family and all of a sudden we're told that we have to leave and we're not allowed to take anything. I didn't even know what a passport was, that you have to go to these offices and get standing long lines where everybody else is trying to get this done and there's not enough people who are trained to do it not enough people who can help so many who are literally standing in lines for hours and days and if you don't get out then it was very dire consequences do you, do you know what those consequences were did he actually make that explicit he didn't make it explicit but all of a sudden it was a country in the military felt like they had all this power over South Asians so they could take things away from people they could threaten people for example I had broken my glasses and my brother because we had a general store and he would get supplies for the military so he was going to the capital city of Kampala and when he had to go there he said why don't you come with me and we'll come back in the evening so it was supposed to be a day trip and along the way here we are we're stopped like every 10 miles by the by the army it was daytime we got to Kampala and uh, I went and I got my glasses fixed and it was gonna you know it took a while and my brother was getting his work done and he comes back and it was getting close to evening and my brother was really worried like what how am I going to take you home because they're getting everybody to come out of the cars and questioning them and in some cases we'd heard about stories of you know women and children particularly being harassed and even worse and my brother didn't want to take a chance so he said why don't you stay here my sister lived in Kampala at the time too. So he left me with her. And he said, I'll come back in a couple of days and get you. I was never able to go back home. So that was it for me. I stayed in Kampala with my sister for a few days and then went to Kenya and stayed with my brother for a few days. And then eventually, as each of my family members, and I were 11 siblings, and everybody was coming from a different town in Uganda. Some were married, some were studying in different places. And as they started getting their paperwork, we didn't know where we were going to go. So out of all of us, 11 siblings and my parents, we were split in nine different countries. I, I didn't see my parents for a year and a half. And I traveled alone from Nairobi to London and then London to Canada several weeks later. So this whole journey for me took maybe, I don't even know, maybe like three months. How old were you, Sharon? I was 14 at the time. And you traveled alone from Nairobi to London? Alone. Yeah. Did, did you not worry about your safety? It's weird when you are a 14-year-old. So we grew up under the British system because Uganda was a you know, British colony. And all our education was in English, which I was really fortunate about that. I knew the language. And I had been reading all these books from Britain. I had read about snow and Christmas and things that we'd never experienced in Uganda. So it was like a dream for me. I'm like, 
am I really going to this place I've only read about in my books and only dreamed about? And all of a sudden I'm there, you know? And I got to London in uh, the end of November. Which and was had, around winter, which is when the around, snow was about to fall. Yeah, and uh, it was cold. I had stayed with a relative, but then eventually my brother, who had left a little earlier, was already registered in a college there. So I went and stayed with him in his dorm for a few weeks. Imagine what that must have been like for a teenage boy with his younger sister living in his dorm, right? <laughs> but, but it was a great experience for me. And my brother was wonderful in showing me the ways of the UK. And then I left on New Year's Eve to go from the UK to Canada. You had some family in Canada already? It may be confusing because I have so many brothers and sisters, but my one brother was on the first United Nations flight that took refugees out of Uganda, and he ended up in Toronto. So we knew that where that first flight was going to go. Our goal was to all head to Toronto and reunite there, and, and Canada was wonderful in welcoming refugees into uh, Canada. It was the senior President Trudeau at the time. That's correct who with open arms welcomed many of those who were forced out of Uganda by Idi Amin. That's right? correct. It was during the time of Pierre Trudeau, yes. That must have been yeah. some journey and experience. Oh, it was, as a 14-year-old, it was, it was almost like you don't think about dying or the fears. You feel like you're invincible and it's an adventure for you. And as sad as it is, you know that there's terrible things happening around because you've seen them, read about them in the newspapers, heard about it on the radio. Of course, TVs weren't very big in Uganda at the time. But you know that things are really bad. And you know that friends are all leaving and they're not showing up in schools. You don't know where they've gone. You don't know if you're ever going to see them again. And then all of a sudden, in my case, I'm not home anymore. And what's going to happen? And then you travel to the UK and you travel to Canada and it's exciting. From my perspective at that time, I was so fortunate because I had a wonderful man, his name was Stephen Smith, who came to pick me up from the airport and became kind of like my guardian. He helped me learn about how to earn money by babysitting. And in fact, he trusted me to babysit his own kids initially. And then he taught me how to look for jobs and apply for jobs and how to go for interviews. He helped my family. He also helped me get registered in the school and get set up a meeting with the principal, which I did. And, you know, he's become a family friends since and I don't know what we would have done without him because he was such a big help and support to us as being if, new in a country that we knew nothing about or didn't know anybody. I'm sure each one of us have such stories about angels on earth that yes just bring us along. Absolutely. So then you, you started studying in Canada? I finished my high school in, in Toronto. I started in the second half of 10th grade. That was actually a really interesting story too. So Stephen had taken me, this was during the holiday season, the Christmas holidays, because I arrived in Toronto on New Year's Day. Or yes, actually it was New Year's Eve. And uh, he had invited us to his place for New Year's Day. And he 
had waited. He knew I was coming. So he had set up this elaborate Christmas dinner for New Year's Day with the turkey and trimmings and everything. And then he told me that he would be taking me to school to see the principal. He had arranged for everything. He, he came to pick me up. We went to the school. We used to live in downtown Toronto. He said, I will wait for you. And I said, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll go home. You don't have to wait. And he says, yeah, but it's starting to snow. And I got all excited. I'm like, oh my God, I get to touch snow. And he said, yeah, it's supposed to snow a lot. This is Toronto. So you have to be really careful. So I'll wait for you. And I'm like, but Stephen, if I don't know how to go back home, how will I be able to come to school Monday morning? I have to be able to know my way. And he said, yeah, but I'll show you Monday morning. And me being a stubborn teenager, I guess. So no, no, it's okay. I'll walk home. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yes. Well, by the time I had done my couple of hours with the principal, I came outside and everything was covered in snow. Everything was white. I didn't wow. realize that I didn't have the proper clothes. I didn't have the proper shoes, but I didn't even think of that. I just continued walking. I was so excited. I knew that I had to cross through this park and I crossed the park and I was about to cross an intersection and the lights changed. So I ran and I slipped and fell in the ice smack in the middle of the intersection. <laughs> I got up and I continued walking. And to this day, I still don't know how I managed to find my way home, but somehow I did. And there was this wonderful Greek lady that was our host at the house. She didn't speak very much English. And my brother and my sister used to live there with me at the time. It must have been several hours later. And I tried to open the door and I guess she had been worried and waiting for me. So she ran to the door, one of those screen doors, and she looks at me and she starts screaming. And I'm like, why is she screaming? And she opens the door. She grabbed me in by one arm and she looks at me and all of a sudden I look down and my arm is just dangling. I'd broken my arm. Oh, because of the fall and, that you had. Yeah. Because of the fall that I had, but I didn't know. I guess I must have been in shock and it was cold and I, I didn't know. So she starts screaming and she calls my brother on the phone. And all I could hear her say is, come home quickly, emergency. And the next thing I knew, I was in an emergency department at a hospital that luckily was very close by it. I started my first day of school with my arm in a sling and a cast. That's how I started my first day of 10th grade in Canada. And then how did you find your way to the U.S.? So to the U.S., we came, I met my husband in Toronto at a local community college that allowed us to play badminton and met him there. He's from Kenya. We met, we got married after knowing each other for five years. And eventually we came to the U.S. to seek the American dream, looking for more opportunities. We had one daughter at that time and I wanted to have more time with my daughter. I was working long hours in Canada in a hospital. So we came to the U.S. as economic refugees. We had three thousand dollars with us when we came and that's how we started life about almost 33 years ago and then you found your american dream well i've been so fortunate so fortunate to have found you know first of all had my husband who is my best friend and
and he's been so supportive. And the U.S. has been very kind to us. And we've had some great experiences of living in Philadelphia. You are saying the U.S. has been very good to you, but I also know that you and your husband both have contributed in your communities that you are in. So immigration in itself as a policy has always been good in the U.S. in which it's a win-win situation on both sides. I wanted to add that I'm an immigrant too, and I am living the American dream, but also in turn, I have tried my best to contribute to the community as much as I can. But tell me, sure of everything that you have gone through since the age of 14 and all of the different places you've lived at, what life lessons have you learned and what can you share with our listeners? So, Hami, you're an immigrant, so you know this very well. And I've done a TED Talk on this as well. And my TED Talk is talking about my experiences, but also the fact of why somebody chooses to migrate. And I believe that when an immigrant goes from one place to another, we're all seeking opportunities to better our lives. So what I say is that it's because of progress. That is what drives migration. And let me say three areas that I believe that are the primary categories for migrating. When you think about, in my case, I didn't have a choice, right? I was forced, whether it's because of political situation, whether you're facing persecution, which often involves, you know, fears of violence, political wars. So I was forced out of Uganda by somebody who didn't like the color of my skin and wanted that particular community out. You can also think about other reasons for why. I don't know what your reason for coming here is, but a lot of times people migrate out of necessity. It could be because of safety factors. There could be natural disasters. There could be hurricanes. There could be earthquakes, tsunamis, drought, famine, whatever. I mean, there's so many reasons that people have had to flee their countries. In other situations, it's because in a particular area, there is no economic opportunity for jobs or education. The quality of life is terrible. Some people have no food, no clean water, no medical services. In some cases, it's because families have become separated and they're trying to reunite with their families. I mentioned to you, my family of 11 siblings was separated into nine different countries and I didn't reunite with my parents for almost a year and a half. Now we are living in this COVID-19 pandemic and you already hear about people who want to move from condensed areas such as New York City, which is a hotspot, to more rural areas. This is a form of migration too. So people migrate for different reasons in their lives. How does progress fit into all of this? Think that no matter how you've migrated, whether it's from a village to a town, a town to a city, from any place to a different country, so many times and for so many people, this is such a difficult journey. And a lot of times a very dangerous journey and lives are lost along the way. We've heard stories about Syrian refugees. Who wakes up in the morning thinking they're going to go in this boat that's filled with like 50 people trying to cross the Mediterranean or other ways of getting to a place. All they want is hope for a better life. And if you're fortunate to have survived, you live with that experience. So as immigrants, I mean, we all remember the reason why we had to leave in the first place. You come 
to a new place with hope. But you face so many challenges. You've come to a place where you really want to integrate into a new life. How do you find food? How do you find shelter? For me, I came in a cold, harsh winter, but I was so fortunate I had even in my life. Some people who don't know anybody who don't have a job, who don't have, they're grieving the loss of a family member. I had a sister who her refugee journey took her to Belgium. She lived in a Flemish-speaking part of Belgium in Antwerp. And due to a language barrier, she was medically misdiagnosed and we lost her to Oh, jeez. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. I mean, but these are stories of so many people. And you asked me what lessons I have learned during my journey. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that to have somebody in your life who is there to support you in any form as part of the community, to have a helping hand, to have a caring voice, to have somebody speak a familiar language. The journey of a refugee or an immigrant is so hard. And then the next phase of their life is to settle somewhere wherever they have chosen to do so. You're now competing with other immigrants who've gone through similar journeys. And as an immigrant, you always are aware that you're different. You sound different. You look different. This is scary for some people. Perhaps they feel threatened by those differences. I got called names. I got things thrown at me. When we came to the U.S., I had one daughter. My second daughter was born here. I really started getting involved in my children's schools. I started volunteering there, I guess, started getting to know the teachers. I started learning about the community. I really believe the difference is becoming educated about the place that you're now living in. And as an immigrant, you know you have to work harder. You're not afraid of that because that's what you came for. You know it's not going to be an easy life. But at the same time, having that opportunity to learn about the place that you're living in, you become more engaged. For me, civic engagement was so important. I wanted to know what my community is like and what I need to do to become a contributing member of that community. How can I help? And, you know, with Stephen, even like he wanted to know about our life, our culture, our traditions. He loved our food. Samosas are still his favorite, you know, and intentionally or unintentionally, as we integrate into communities, you start bringing rich cultures into your new place. I mean, isn't that how we got our pizzas and falafels and sushi and, you know, green curry chicken and all the Indian foods that everybody loves so much now. I believe that by migrating people coming to different places, it leads to evolution of cultures and traditions. And this is all good. Like I said, I believe so much in civic engagement. So I started serving in communities from a very early stage. And I think that was very beneficial for me. I learned so much from it. And now it is so important for me to serve on various levels. I mentioned I serve on several boards. I've talked a little bit about the Philadelphia Foundation and the Welcoming Center. And through these organizations, I have found opportunities to serve vulnerable populations and particularly immigrants. If you think about it, we're such vulnerable populations. And helping to promote an inclusive society through immigrant integration is so critical. I think that opportunity for an immigrant to have 
somebody there to help them is what springboards their lives into becoming contributing members of our regions. And think about all the contributions made by immigrants in the U.S., right? Of course, the U.S. has a long history of immigration. But if you think about it, particularly now in this COVID-19 pandemic, over 30% of doctors in the USA are foreign born. And they're making great contributions in saving lives. And actually, in a recent report from Quartz.com, that the U.S. is only now starting to see the value of immigrant health workers. So let's hope that that continues. I love this country and the opportunities it has provided me as well as so many other immigrants. But I think that it's only when we work together and create support for those who need it, that's when we all rise together and have better communities to live in. And I believe it enriches all of us to be part of this diverse, pluralistic society that values and appreciates each other's differences. I mean, I certainly do. That definitely was a wonderful dialogue that you just presented. And I want to sum it up that according to you, the life lessons that you learned from your entire immigration process or experience was you're saying, learn about your communities, integrate into it, and civic engagement will give you a lot of opportunities to not only uplift yourself, but also to give back to the immigrants that are the new immigrants. And that then feels like a full circle because you were once that new immigrant. Do you feel like I've summed this up okay? Yes, definitely, definitely. And, and there's just one more thing that I would add, you know, you can never undermine the value of education. I came to the US, my kids were very young and I went back to university and got my university degree. And then when my kids went to college, I went and I did my higher education. And I think that that has also been very, very valuable for me to learn at different phases of my life and then come back and, and contribute to society again. I totally back you up on that. Uh, I came into this country for education because there were no higher education opportunities where I was. So education is primal. Thank you so much, Shirin. It, it was great to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing all of your wonderful experiences. You came to the US and you were able to do whatever you did to give back. So thank you again. Thank you, Hamida, for this opportunity. Great talking to you. John F. Kennedy once said, everywhere immigrants have enriched and strengthened the fabric of American life. You heard what Shirin had to say. It is not easy to be an immigrant. You leave your birth homeland, you leave your friends, your family and your possessions and you come to a new homeland. But with the desire to live in it to the fullest, to integrate in it to the fullest, to get from it what it wants to give you to the fullest and to return to it as a contributing member of it to the fullest. But in order to do that, we all need the Steve Smith that Shirin had in her life. Would you be the person who will support a refugee or an immigrant? Would you be their helping hand? Would you be their comfort voice? Would you be their Steve Smith? We all need someone like that in our lives. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well. Mm-hmm.